Welcome to the Find Your Awesome Podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott and I'm your host. I'm an intuitive human design alignment guide, a certified professional coach, and an instigator of joy. And I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for listening. Before we get into this week's episode, hi, how are you doing? We are in the midst of Mercury retrograde. If you are listening to this in real time, this episode is airing on February 18th. And we will still have three more days of this round of Mercury in retrograde. And I don't care what you think about Mercury in retrograde, whether you think it's a bunch of nonsense or you totally plan your calendar around it. This one has been kicking my butt. This has been, I mean, retrograde, that's all about bringing stuff up from the past to heal. It's all about, for me, it's reruns. It's wait, what? I recognize this. And if you are feeling this too, I just wanted to say, hi, I love you. We got this. You don't have to do it alone. You're not crazy. And I know that whatever is on the other side of this is going to be so much more magical than we can possibly imagine. Now, a couple other orders of business. First of all, Tina and I have a new offering and it's called Your Embodied Alignment Journey. Now, this is all about bringing your whole body, mind, soul, spirit, essence into alignment. So many of us, we really get it together. Like we'll be really connected spiritually and our business is lagging behind, or we're not taking care of our body or our relationships are suffering, or we're not making the money we want to make, or we don't feel supported or that we are balancing. We being humans, we are balancing so many different aspects of ourselves and our lives that sometimes we can feel totally aligned in one section and totally out of alignment in all the others, or maybe totally aligned in most areas of your life, but one area you're just not quite clicking into alignment. This work that Tina and I are doing is all about helping you click all the way into alignment. We'll be talking more about it in future episodes, but check the show notes for the link and go check it out right now. And there's an alignment survey, a self-assessment that you can take right there. And then take the survey and then we will get in touch to schedule a time to talk and we will talk about your embodied alignment journey. It sounds amazing, right? Okay. Other order of business, my YouTube channel. I'm having so much fun making videos for you and sharing them and hearing that people are actually watching and, and getting something from them. So if you haven't checked out my YouTube channel yet, please go play around on there, subscribe share it with your friends, all the things, I guess. <laughs> I'm still new to the YouTube space. So the link to the YouTube channel is in the show notes. Now, Steve Disselhorst, this conversation, the energy felt really good. I really, I love Steve. I just met Steve and I love Steve. So Steve just brings this deep authenticity and deep emotional awareness. And Steve is a motherfucking manifester. And I just loved talking to him about it, kind of the way he's jumped around in life because manifestors, they just need to initiate. They are here to create energetic movements. They're here to be brave enough to go first. They are here to own their power. And Steve's story is all about being brave enough to go first and owning his power. And it's about deep, heartfelt, emotional connection. I really enjoyed connecting with Steve and I hope you do too. And now I'll tell you what I'm supposed to tell you about. In other words, I'll read you his bio. Steve Disselhorst specializes in personal and professional leadership development and consulting for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and is the author of the memoir, Determined to be Dad, A Journey of Faith, Resilience, and Love. Before founding his firm, 
Steve worked for Gene Tech, a biotech company, and is a veteran healthcare marketer. Currently, he serves on the San Mateo County LGBTQ Commission and is a speaker for the San Francisco LGBTQ Speakers Bureau. Steve is the father of two wonderful children who are the center of his world. And he shares some just wonderful. I want to use the word lovely, but I feel like that's trite. Just um, some stories about his kids that made my heart smile. I hope you enjoy this conversation. You are a miracle. Keep going. Be nice to yourself. Be loving to yourself. Give yourself a whole lot of grace in this period of retrograde. Know that I love you and go forth and be awesome. Steve, I'm so excited you're here. Thank you for doing this with me. Thrilled. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm smiling ear to ear. So I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. So you, you're a manifester. And that means that your energy is really big, that your mission here is to step into your power and own your power. And by doing that, you're going to inspire others to do the same. It means that you are, your whole path is about, well, being big and also in being brave enough to go first. Manifestors are here to create energetic movements. And in creating those movements, oftentimes manifestors, like all people, are have a little bit of people-pleasing tendencies because they can be that that energy is so big and some people are so drawn to that big energy and some people are so terrified of that energy so in creating these movements some people are going to be hell yes on your train and some people are going to say hell no yeah so i'm curious in a one other piece about manifestors manifestors right they're supposed to be super powerful and own their power they are not it is not energetically correct for a manifestor to ask other people's opinions well to follow other people's opinions or to like ask people's permission to do things yeah so i am curious how being a manifestor how is like how has that shown up in your life Well, I mean, I think the thing that you said that just has been ringing in my brain since you said it was people pleaser. Um, That aspect is, um, I think, has inhibited me from actually stepping into my power because I am very other focused um, and um, really wanting to help and connect with others. And so I sometimes forget and lose um, what I really want and need. And I think there's, um, I think that there's been um, in some cases an, a reluctance to accept the power um, that you're describing. And I think that that transition for me um, has really started in, in 2018 and, um, with um, the diagnosis of cancer um, that I had in 2018. That diagnosis was really a halting moment in my life. And uh, it was a moment in my life where um, that, that the people pleasing and taking care of others and like thinking about others first um, really had to sort of stop mm. um, because I, I, um, I was focused on others and I wasn't really taking care of myself. Um, and so that moment, uh, really, um, was, uh, was really incredible. It was, it was scary. Um, but it was also one in which it really, uh, forced me to think about how I wanted to live my life more consciously, um, and with intention, um, and also going through the healthcare system, um, there are a lot of people that want to tell you what to do. And a lot of people tried to tell me what to do. Um, and I think my previous self was one that would have 
listened more, but when, um, with my cancer diagnosis, I became incredibly outspoken about, um, what I really wanted in treatment and the things that were important to me, uh, related to side effects of treatment and the impact it could have on my life. Um, and so I went on an odyssey. It was kind of a crazy thing. I got diagnosed in February of 2018 and I didn't actually start my treatment until December, almost what, 11 months later. Um, and I went up and down the state of California to all the best hospitals and medical institutions to really come to a place where I decided on my treatment in partnership with a provider that heard my concerns and really um, was there to be with me and not tell me what to do. Um, and that was pretty, uh, it was pretty amazing. I, I, so I, early on in the journey, I saw a surgeon who was really open and very, one of the most brilliant surgeons, people come all over the world to be um, treated by him at uh, UCSF. And um, he was really open, but he referred me to uh, someone that was sort of in his practice, a radiation oncologist in his practice. And I went to see him and I had this, you know, just really was trying to understand, right? Like understand like what the treatment was like and what would happen. And, um, and like, it took me a while for it to sink in. And when I came back and I, so I scheduled another appointment, it was probably two or three months later and came back to meet with him. And he was so frustrated with me. He was like, you need to pick your poison. You need to decide what you're going to do. And like, and he was just, and I said, okay. I said, who's the decision maker here? Mm -hmm. I said, I am, you are not. And you are here to help me not to tell me what to do. And I said, I am going to leave now because you are not helping me. I don't care what your degrees are. I don't care what institutions you're at. Your role is to help me in deciding. And it was, he was kind of like, what? Like, I'm the bomb. Like, you're lucky to have an appointment. And I was like, no, this is not how this is going to this is not going to play out like this. Um, and that was a pretty like, you know, it was a pretty startling moment because, you know, um, he's really a highly regarded provider and, you know, and, but it, it did, didn't feel right. And it, um, it wasn't what I needed. And I really, I think this idea of people pleasing in my old self, I would have been like, oh, okay, well, he's the smarty and he's the, he's the, he's the guy, he, he knows what's best for me. And actually I was like, no, I know what's best for me. So it um, sounds like this cancer journey was a unicorn bitch lab for you to yeah, step into absolutely. your power. Yeah, absolutely was. Yeah. How did it feel that first time as you're talking? Well, was that the first time along this journey that you stepped into your power? Uh, it was sort of incremental. I think that, um, I think that that, that session was really interesting because I, you know, I, I was processing all the information. I think that's one, that's the other thing about my personality is like, whenever I start a new job, don't expect me to be a high performer in the first month. Like I need like, you know, I need time for it. Like I'm like a sponge, like I need time for it to soak in and get to every little sort of nook and cranny in that sponge. And then once I'm there, I'm like, go. But so I was taking in all this information from all these different providers and like sort of, you know, trying to feel what was right. And then I was, had the second appointment with him, I was getting close to a decision. And then he came at me in a way that I was like, no, this is not going to happen like this. And so it felt natural. It felt, it felt really good. Um, and it felt almost um, like, wow, like, why haven't I been doing this more? Like it was, it was sort of like, you know, and I could speak up for other people, you know, like I was always the guy in the office, like when something really, 
some shit went down that was really not okay, like people would come to me and then I would speak up about it. I would be like, this is not right. We, but it was, it was harder for me to do that for myself. And then this cancer diagnosis just really was like, these people are like, they see me on the, you know, on the bell curve of the clinical study. They don't see me. They don't, you know, like where, what end are you on the bell curve? You know? And they just basically tried to throw me and I was like, Hey, you don't know what's important to me. Like you are not even asking me what's important in my life. Um, And you're just telling me what to do and that's not okay. Um, And so it was pretty, uh, it was, it was definitely um, like really a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I have a few, a few thoughts. One, you have a defined throat, which means so people with an open throat are here to be an advocate for others. Yeah. People with defined throats are here to speak their truth. Yeah. So you were great that you're advocating for others. That's really helpful. And it, when you're doing it too much, it's out of alignment for you. You yeah. are so like here you are pushed into a spot where finally you are speaking your truth. Yeah. Your whole soul must have been like, yes. Yeah. Yes. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was, it was hard for people around me, you know, like, you know, um, they wanted me to get treated quickly. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I, and you know, I was, I was evaluating and it was hard for folks around me, but I think that that sort of like, that was the beginning, you know, and from there, you know, after I made my decision, I felt really, really good about it. A lot of, a lot of, I would say men that, you know, struggle with prostate cancer is really, a um, it's hard for men cause it's something they don't want to talk about. And, um, but oftentimes men will quickly jump into what their, what their provider tells them to do. And then they have regret afterwards. They, they have a, a like, Oh, I wish I hadn't done this. I didn't experience that. I, I did all the front end work of deciding how I wanted to be treated. And I spoke up for what I wanted. And once I got treated, I have never looked back from my decision and I'm, I'm healthy and fine now and side effects were minimal and I had a great outcome, but it was, it was, and so it sort of started the ball rolling for me. So then after that, I was like, okay, what's next? And what's next for me was I decided to write a book because I had been on this journey to adopt our two children, which was a really, really long journey. Um, And it was a journey where we, in many cases, felt very much out of control because decisions in adoption are made in many cases by others. You have it, obviously you have a deciding uh, factor in it, but there's a lot of factors out of your control. And I've been carrying all of that. Like we started in 2010 to adopt our kids and our son's, our son's adoption was finalized in September of 2017. And so it had been this like seven year journey of like, just like there, you know, it was so hard. And so I decided to write about it. I was like, I need to clear it. I need to get it out. And so I wrote a memoir, um, Determined to be Dad is the memoir. And I wrote it was to share like my early years to where I got to this point was really a lot of it was about the adoption process. And I just needed a cleanse. Like I needed all of that behind me. Um, and so that was sort of like the turning point. And it was during, during, uh, that time that, um, I decided to become a coach. Um, and it was like in my coaching, one of my coaching classes, like I was the idea of stepping into your power, right? Like I was like, yeah, authors are other people than me. I can't be an author. Like, like those are the smart people. That's not me. And it was like being in the coaching was like, dude, is this what you want? And I was like, yes, I want to share the story. I want to help others by sharing the story. And um, I stepped into it. Yeah, it was scary. What's interesting is you just brought in cancer, writing about adoption, coaching. And I feel like (laughs) some people would expect you to say, and then I wrote a book about my cancer journey. 
but no, no, no. You wrote a book about what had been like clogging up your energy, which is this heavy adoption story. Yeah. And then, and what were you doing before, before you got cancer? What were you doing career wise? So I was, I was working in uh, healthcare. Uh, I worked for a biotech company um, and was doing sort of uh, working in business to business marketing focused on health insurance plans and hospitals and like making sure that patients could get access to access to drugs that were life-saving. So um, I did that for a long time, but I, you know, I got to the point with that work where I, I think exactly like I was, it was hard because a lot of like a lot of the forces in corporate America, like they're not um, you know, like there were people that were holding me back um, there was all, you know, sort of all the politics and, 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 um, yeah, there was just a lot of like, you know, naysayers of who I was and what I wanted to do. And I, I think that just really held me back. And then I finally was like, I, I'm going to go out on my own and create my own, you know, business and do this on my own. So, so you essentially just like broke out. I did. You broke out, stepped into your power. Thank you, cancer. You write this book that's a cleanse. Is it? I'm curious because the telling your story was so cleansing. Is it? Do you feel like you're done with it? Like, was writing the book the process? I think it was. So the I think I'm done with the heaviness of it. So it's really. the other parts of it are now the parts to share with others. The other parts of it are the hope, you know, the resilience, all of those things that are required for people that are um, trying to adopt or people that are going through surrogacy, folks that are having, you know, infertility issues that really want to have children. Um, That is all, you know, like that's all for me is all the upside of it. Like it's, all the goodness that it's like sharing along the way. Um, It's part of my story to help others realize like what you're going through is normal. Like the sadness that you have when you have a failed adoption or, you know, a failed pregnancy, like that's normal. Like it can be very, um, you know, these things are not commonplace, right? So it's like folks that go through it can, can feel sort of isolated. And so it's like, my work is really around, you know, illuminating that, that it's, you know, that there are others that have gone through it and that there's, um, there's really, um, you know, there's hope, right? There's hope you can do it. Um, So it's that, that, that's really where it is now. And yet, are you coaching people around adoption? I am starting that. So I am, that's a part of my business that I'm building right now. Um, so the, yeah, so it's part of it. It's, it's, um, it's in the infancy right now, but that's what I really would like to be doing is helping folks that are, you know, LGBTQ people and others that are thinking about creating families through adoption is like, you know, working through all the, like, what are your values around, you know, family, like thinking about what does it mean to be a parent? What does it mean for you? And then supporting them through the process. Yeah. And I, I'm just bouncing around right now because I love that you're a motherfucking manifester and you do what you want. (laughs) Um, so I want to know, how did you discover coaching? Um, so it's a really great story. So I worked at this big biotech company, um, an amazing, amazing company, um, really amazing people, amazing science. I mean, their products have saved, you know, so many lives. Um, and the last year that I was there, I stepped into a, a role as a diversity and inclusion consultant. So it was really around like, how can we make the workplace more diverse and inclusive. And one of the major things that I did there was I led up a um, leadership development program for, um, it, was, it was really a broad program for underrepresented communities, but the, the cohort that I was working with was for African-American and Latinx employees. So very, very high potential people that um, we created what's called a sponsorship program where 
senior executives at the highest level in the company would sponsor more people junior in their career. And what we worked on was breaking down sort of the racial dynamics of like many of these companies, you can see it across the boards are struggling with the diversity at the highest levels. And so it was during that time that um, I was working with this cohort of uh, uh, employees and it was an amazing experience, but we did like a half day authentic leadership course. And one, our, our sponsor of the program, the, the, the senior vice president who was leading up the program, he came to kick, kick off authentic leadership. And he was, he was a person that was um, in charge of like a data function, really amazing human being. Like I have so much respect for him, but very in his head. And so he kicked off the program and this is a long story, but he kicked off the program and you could just see that he wasn't resonating because he was so in his head. And um, after he did his 15 minute kickoff, I looked at him and I said, can you tell us about a time that you had an assignment that was sort of beyond what you thought you could do and how it made you feel? Mic drop. He went from in his head into his body and he started to open up and started to talk about his family, his wife. He started to talk about all of these things and how he felt. And the, the 33 people that were in the room, you could see them start to connect. Like there was just this connection, like, and it was an authentic leadership course. So it was like, perfect. Like we were like, so I was getting him out of, and so that was really that moment I go, I'm good at asking questions. I'm good at having intuition around where the energy is in the room and the fact that, you know, like people are just sitting there going, what's this, you know, what's he saying? And, and I just, in that moment, I was like, if we're really going to make change, individuals need to change as well as organization. So I was like, I, I want to coach people because I want to coach leaders who are, this guy's an amazing guy. He just needs a reminder once in a mile to get out of his head. Right. Like mm -hmm. that's his training. Like people, people in corporate America, they're brilliant people. They're trained to not have emotion because they make rational business decisions, but that's not what, what we need now. We need leaders that have hearts. We need leaders that, um, are connected, right? Um, and they're not often not trained that way. Even our young people, as they go through and they, you know go go through the science and math and engineering and all of these things, emotion is pulled, right? Like they're it's all so it's like then they have to learn that. And so that's really why I do the leadership coaching I do is I love because I have a general feeling that everyone has goodness. And so it's like, I like to see in the corporate setting is really like, yeah, things aren't happening perfectly at work. Great. Like, where's your humanity in it? Okay. Well, how can you bring your humanity into it? Um, and so that's, that's where I'm at now. You were born for that, right? You, you see that. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love business. Like I love like how business functions and how an idea turns into revenue generation and how it turns into jobs and how it turns into, I, I really have always loved business, but what I haven't liked about it was the lack of emotion in it. And that's what sort of is, um, I always tried to fit in that box of like, you know, and I, I learned to fit in, but then it really felt, didn't feel right. And so now this is like, I feel like I'm the, um, the bridge almost between the, you know, um, hard science and data and facts and information and the humanity, the, the thing that's seen as being so like, you know, like on the opposite. And like, so my role is now to, help these people that are in these organizations to actually be able to step into their heart and their body. And it's part of my, it's part of how I do my coaching practice. Yeah, it is. And you are here to be a bridge. You are here. One of the gifts of 
your profile is that um, you hone your brilliance when you're alone mm. and you connect deeply with people yes. and people who know you really, really well will recognize that you love your time alone and people who don't know you as well are going to think you're a huge extrovert. And you guys really are here to be a bridge to reach out and pull people up into the light. Yes. Yeah. My husband is, has the same profile as you and it's so beautiful to see him reaching out to people who are very much in them, in the struggle, in the suffering, totally closed down to emotions and saying, well, come on up here. Yeah. Feel like come into the love and the light. And the empathy. Yeah. And we all have it. It's there. I mean, there, there's no question it's there. It's just, do you want to access it? And what are the stories in your head that you've made up that it's not okay to access it at work? And, you know, and most of the time it's people are afraid it's going to become uncontrollable. Right. And so it's like they holding back because they're like, And what I try to help my clients understand is that all that energy you're putting into holding back actually is energy that you could be using for more greatness, right? Like for the things that you're really interested in, but as you're holding on so tight, you're actually using that energy to hold on. And, and, and so I try to get them to think about it. And so when I ask them to do sort of stretches or to, try behaviors that are different. I try to get them to think about how much time have you been spending on like holding that? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, well, you do this, right? Like, it's like, how much energy do you really want to use that energy for that? Or do you want to use it for like the thing that made you smile? Yes. Right. Oh, that's so brilliant. And as you're saying, it's like, how much time do you want to spend clenching your fist? Like that's, that's not a sustainable position if you're really clenching really hard. Yeah. What could you put that energy into? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, that's really and beautiful. That ration, rational, like the people are like, you know, the science people are kind of like, oh, okay. That actually, oh, that makes sense. Actually, if I, and then they start to like go, oh, okay. Well, maybe if I, you know, started to shift thinking about and and what I do with my clients is often it's not, I never try to get them to change from night and day. It's always like incremental, right? Like it's all sort of small steps because I think that's the work that's more lasting, right? Like try this, try it a few times. Actually, the first thing I do is like bring awareness to it, like bring awareness to what you're doing. Be aware how many times a day you say, oh, I'm not going to say that thing. I'm not going to put my, like, just, and then take a log and then we'll kind of go through the log and talk about that. And it's like, oh, well maybe next time, next week you can do that, you know, 25% less. And then you can actually, when you're whole in those places you're holding back, just actually try to, you know, do what you would really want to do. Um, and that seems to be, that seems to be, a um, it seems uh, people like that. Yeah. Yeah. You're making it tactile for them. Yeah. So you seem to be very much in your body, very much connected with yourself, with your emotions, with your body. Have you always been like that? Um, I think that I have, I think I tried to deny it a lot. Um, I, but I think that I've, I know I've become accepting of it, but I, there was a, a, a period of time where I did try to deny, um, you know, my body and my, yeah, what was in it. But now I'm, I'm like, I'm very aware of it, you know, that, that, um, you know, what I'm feeling and, and I allow myself to feel it, um, and I think, you know, most recently I have started, it would say probably in the last year and a half, I, I started working in a men's group about, it's about two years ago. And that was great um, experience because I started to learn some techniques around like, um, which I use in my practice now, but now it's like meditating and then, you know, being with yourself 
um, and checking in, right? Like, so like part of my practices around, like we do check in sort of mind, body, spirit, check in and just sort of like, and for corp, for my, um, my corporate clients, it's really helpful because they're all like, you know, they're so busy and it's like, okay, let's, let's step into you. Like, and there, there's a lot of resistance. I don't want to meditate. It's like, it's so funny. I'm like, come on, let's just meditate. Like, and they're just like, oh, we got stuff to do. And I'm like, come on, let's just, and then we meditate and we do a check-in and it's, um, yeah, it's really fun. I'm so I do that. That's now my practice. And I've actually, um, in the last month have gotten sort of really busy. And so I find my day myself on days skipping, my meditation um, in, and I find myself not feeling as good. Like I'm getting pulled in to the mm-hmm. whirlwind of what it is and I'm not centered and like, and once I can step into the meditation and, and yeah. So it's, it's- well, you're not designed for consistency. So in case you feel like you're supposed to then lock in and meditate at the same time, every single day, yeah. you're not. No, 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 no. And, you know, I use my meditation with um, the kids, right? Like, so they can be very exhausting. Um, they're wonderful, but they have a huge amount of energy. Um, I'm a, an older father, you know, I didn't have my kids in my 20s. And so I need, so I find myself on Sundays, it's like three to 4.30 in the afternoon. I'm like, we are out in the morning. We have do a bunch of stuff. We have breakfast. We do a bunch of stuff, and then in the afternoon, I'm like, I need to come inside to my body. Like, I need to. And so I'll sit and meditate, and um, I'll just close the door for like 30 minutes and say, Hey, I need, you know, I just need some time. Go watch, go watch a little video or play or whatever, and then I'll, I'll take that time to just be with myself and calm. Mm. And that's been fun. And it's funny, my little, my little boy who's five, like he, he's been not consistently, but he'll want to come and sit with me. I mean, he's got a huge amount of energy. So for him to sit still is, is, it's not easy, but he'll want to come and hang with me during that time. And so I'll, some days we'll sit and he'll like put his head on my lap where he sort of takes a little nap or some days he'll sit in my lap and he'll try to, you know, sit with me as well. Um, and that's fun. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. I have a couple of, I'll actually, I'll try to find a, they're, they're not great cause they're selfies, but we're sitting, you know, like he, um, he's sat with me a number of times. And it's funny, my daughter recently, like I went into her room and like, she was sitting there like, this and I'm like wow like so um I feel like that practice is sort of going out to others now and um it's it's good I it's good and then I have a meditation group that we uh, like it's a text group and we do a check-in with each other you know um and that's been really helpful too yeah Mm, I love that ripple effect I mean that's you starting an energetic movement yeah yeah it's it's the movement is we meditate yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. I did it today. I felt, it felt really good. Have you been meditating for ever? No, it's probably in the last, uh, I would say year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely a recent, a recent thing, but in the last year it's gotten, um, pretty consistent. Yeah. You, you've gotten addicted. Is that what you're saying? Um, <laughs> I am finding the difference in my body and in my um, emotional state when I don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to back up, Steve, to talking about emotions and you. Yeah. I hear from a lot of guys, like they're taught, don't feel your emotions. Don't express your emotions. Did you get that message growing up? Yes, 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 of course. Um, all, all, I think most boys are taught that. I think that's one of the wonderful things about being a dad now is that um, I am teaching him that emotions are okay. Um, 
but yeah, definitely. I mean, I think for me, the emotions, um, you know, were tied to my sexual orientation. So I identify as a gay man. And I think that um, they were sort of cobbled together that like emotion and being emotional meant that you were effeminate and that you were female or more female. And so I think there was a there was definitely in the early years, it was a running away from that to sort of hide. Um, and um, it's, it's, I would say it's also been a challenge in relationships because a lot of men are taught not to have emotions and they're, they are in, in, in for, for gay men as well. There are many men that are, don't have a great access to their emotions. And so um, it's something that I've, I felt for a long time that I um, needed to modify. Um, and then my last partner that I was with, um, he actually, when we first started dating, it was one of the things that would, he was very attracted to in me was that he always knew where he was at with me because I was emotional. He was like, he had dated people in the past that had no emotion. And they, he was like, never knew what was going on because there was just, it was so flat. And he's like, I loved the fact with you is like, I know when you're happy, I know when you're not like I, you're, you're out there. And, um, and so, yeah, but it's, it's a, it's a, as a man, it's an interesting thing. Um, you know, I, right. Like you, you do coaching, right? Like you go in and you, you go to your coach trainings and, you know, 75 to 80% of the participants are women, um, you know, a lot of the things that I am drawn to do now, I end up being in relationship with women, which is great. Um, also being a gay dad, many of the roles that I play as a parent is, is more, is more the female. Um, and so, um, I love it. I love it. I love it. It's like, it's interesting what you said about a coach training. My coach training was apparently, um, an outlier because we were 50, 50, Wow. But I have heard that we were an outlier. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one of the, it's interesting. One of the, um, I think why I, I have a number of female clients now and it's because many of the rosters are like 80 to 90% of the coaches are women. And so they, and then what's weird about it is a lot of the leadership in these corporations is male. So it's like, there's like, there's this, you know, difference there. So, um, and I think what I, I, what I love about sort of me right now is the fact that I have these intersectional identities um, that for coaching, like I can very much identify with a working mom because I worked, I was in many cases primary for a lot of my kids stuff and then also was working full time. So I can identify that. I can identify with, you know, LGBTQ people in the workplace. I can I can identify though, not strongly, I'm not a person of color, but I have, I have a multiracial family. So I can identify with um, communities of color and really um, my, my um, difference is not overt, um, but I, I can definitely identify it. And then men I can identify with as well, because I, you know, as a boy growing up in the Midwest, right? Like I was, you know, socialized to be a certain way. So I can identify with those men who don't want to be emotional because that's what I was taught as well, you know? So it's, it's fun. It's fun. Um, it's really fun. Yeah. You really have the gift of feeling into everyone being everybody. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think there are some outlier people that I, um, you know, there are some people that are truly uh, are very in their heads there. Those, those folks can be a little bit hard for me to connect with. Yeah. You, you like me have an open crown and open Ajna. Those yeah. people are exhausting they're, and I they're, love them also. I do too. <laughs> and they're, but they're, um, it's, it's, uh, it's so counter to me that it's like, I don't understand. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, a language barrier of sorts. It's like, I don't understand. Like, it's like, I can't, you know, I'll ask sometimes a client, like, what did, what did you feel? And they look, they'll look and they'll be like, feel, what are you, what are you talking about? And like, 
didn't you have like didn't you have like a visceral like sort of and they're like no i'm like oh. <laughs> like how is that possible <laughs> like, yeah I feel it all i'm like oh my god <laughs> well some people say that um non-emotionals and emotionals which i'll define in a second are essentially separate species in human design (laughs) and you are actually officially called a non-emotional because you have an open solar plexus Mm. i don't use those labels because if i told you steve you're non-emotional what would you say to me like really yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so the people with open solar plexuses or plexi i don't know the appropriate suffix for that um (laughs) are the ones who feel and amplify everyone else's emotions and then the people with defined solar plexus are they have their own emotional wave so they're actually protected from everyone else's emotions but they have their own wave moving through them yeah that's interesting so when did you so you were raised in the midwest like be a man don't show your emotions yeah how did you and then you're like not wanting to show your emotions because that's too effeminate yep what shifted well um what shifted was uh well the big shift that happened was um when i went to college so i again manned up and i joined you know my freshman year i was I lived in the dorms. I lived for the first three months. It was so funny. I lived, like I forgot to apply for housing when I went to college. And so like all of a sudden it was like, well, you're accepted, but you have no place to live. So I ended up like living in a, like um, a study room, which was not very big with 10 guys. It was like a barracks. Um, So it was like really super intense, which is a whole nother story. But I did that. And then I've eventually after like four months had one roommate and lived in the dorms, but then I moved into a fraternity. So again, sort of continuing on. And, but then there was this thing in, in high school, I took Spanish and I loved it. I loved like how it made me feel different. It was almost like putting a costume on. And then in college I started taking it. And so then almost immediately when I went and I had a, radical, amazing woman professor in college um, who did a lot of studying in Spain. And so she was like, you should go, you know, study in Spain. And so my junior year, I went and studied in Spain. And so um, that was sort of the shift that happened with the, the, the masculine and feminine, because I went with a cohort of, of Americans and there were like, so I'm not a very, I'm like five, seven. I'm not a very tall guy. So when I, I went to college in Iowa, I was always like going to these parties and people were really tall guys were tall. I was always shorter, you know? And so there's something around being shorter too in masculinity, like guys are big and they're tall and they're all, and I was like shorter. And so that, that was something that like, I was always trying to compensate for. And then I went to Spain and we went with this cohort of, Uh, Americans and there was a guy from Idaho and he was super tall and everyone made fun of him in Spain. So he didn't fit in. So for the first time in my life, I was in Spain and I was like the same height as everyone. And so that was like, wow, that was so liberating. I wasn't looking up at people and I wasn't looked down on as like being, you know, shorter. The other thing that was really amazing was just men were much more metrosexual they were much they didn't have all that well there is that that happens where i was in spain in the north of spain was it was very like so i the men were just much more open and so i befriended a guy there who he actually prevented befriended me he was looking to practice english he was a, a local guy um and he was like sort of and it was just when i was sort of figuring out that i was gay and i kind of was like, is he sort of interested in me or whatever? But he wasn't, he was, he was identified as heterosexual, but he just had a sort of like a softer feminine side to him. And he was, he was just, so that like shift all of a sudden I was like, actually there are men that aren't like, you know, 
showing off and, you know, being all, you know, and I, and it's that sort of started to shift things. And then when I went back to finish my last year of college uh, at the university of Iowa, I, um, I think maybe that shift allowed me to actually like see other men in a different way. And so it was my senior year that I like kind of saw this guy that I went to this cafe that I studied at. And there was a guy that worked there who had these piercing blue eyes and I, just kind of was mesmerized by them. And that's when things started to shift for me. And I was like, oh, wow, men can be beautiful. Like that was like, oh, wow. Like all of a sudden that, and that was, a, there was turmoil there getting there, but um, it was definitely sort of, that was my senior year. Yeah. So I love how it took getting out of, like actually removing yourself yeah. from your environment. It absolutely did. To be able to be why, you. That's why I landed here, you know, in California. And, you know, the, the culture is just, you know, is much less conservative than the Midwest. And, you know, it's, there, there are all types of men here, right? Like they do, you know, there's the real, you know, macho guys. And then there's like, God, there's so many straight guys here that are just like totally open and like, you know, they, they do all kinds of things that in the Midwest be, would be considered, you know, sort of feminine things, feminine, feminine roles, jobs. We have it all here. So that's how I ended up here. It feels normal. It feels, feels right. Mm. We, I could talk to you forever and I want to keep hanging out with you, but I got a couple <laughs> of last questions for you, which may lead to more questions. We'll see. Cool. Uh, first, um, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? Oh, wow. That's really a big question. Um, I, I mean, what's coming up for me, the scariest thing is really um, our second adoption was, was scary. Um, I would say that was, um, I don't want to get into too many of the specifics, but our son came through the foster to adopt program um, and had some pretty, um, had some serious trauma in the beginning of his life. And, uh, that was, this is the scariest thing I've done. Yeah. So we mm -hmm. got a call, um, March 22nd, 2016, uh, there is a child that's in the hospital. Um, and, they had very, very little information. I write about this in my book and they had very little information about him, but he had an injury and was in the hospital. And um, do you want him? We're looking to place him with a family and this looks like it could be a permanent adoption. And, but you need to decide in the next 24 hours. Well, they told us, they said, actually, you need to decide the next five hours. And we said, okay. And then we said, you know, when five hours passed, we were like, we need a little more information. And so we actually, um, we extended it to probably 36 hours and we took the plunge. And so that was the scariest moment. I write about this is we drove to the hospital um, to go meet him and we knew that if we met him, that we would be committing for the rest of our lives. Like we knew that we couldn't walk in there and be like, Oh, okay. Well, he seems fine. Like we'll take him. And uh, well, but if it doesn't work out, we can like sort of change our minds. We knew that the minute we walked in that door, that that decision had to be, fully already made so we had 36 hours you know of like and we didn't have a lot of information about his history and so that was like stepping into the complete unknown um wow. and that was that's probably the scariest thing i've done and is the most um so we were walking down the hallway we got in the elevator we went up to the fourth floor of the hospital we were walking down the hallway and we got to the door that they told us where he was at. It was this huge, massive, you know, massive door that, you know, like a hospital bed could go in and out of. Right. Like, so it was really heavy. And I just remember like opening that door and in the middle of the room was the bed. 
And inside this big bed was like a little like bouncy chair and there sat our son. And and it was just like immediate, like just drawn to his eyes and just like immediately like went over and, and yet we had no idea what, where he had come from. We had very little information upon the full context of what he had been through or where he came from. And we were all in. How old was he? He was five months old. Wow. That was really scary. Um, one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. Right. Mm. Like, yeah. So that was, that was really scary. Um, but yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Oof, oof. I feel the heat all of a yeah. sudden. <laughs> Let's shake it off. Yeah. Cause my other question isn't scary at all. <laughs> Thanks for bringing me there. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that beautiful <laughs> moment. Yeah. So now we're going to shift totally to imagining that you have a billboard and it can go anywhere you want, but this magical place, everyone can see it. What does it say? Can you say that one more time? So you get, you get a billboard and you can write whatever you want on it and the whole world can read it. So what is your message that you want the whole world to read? Uh, I think my message is I'm here to help you get to where you want to go. Mm. yeah thank you thank you for helping us get where we want to (laughs) go thank you what a what a treat i'm just my body is just alive in this moment it it was really fun yay steve where can we learn more about you yeah so um so uh my website is stevedisselhorse.com um and my last name is spelled d-i-s-s-e-l-h-o-r-s-t um, and then I'm available on, you know, all the social media platforms and it's just Steve, my first name, Disselhorst at, and on Instagram and LinkedIn and all the other places, uh, you would, you would find me. So, and what's yeah. the name of your book again? My, the name of my, the title of my book is determined to be dad. Uh, it's available on Amazon or, um, you can just type in determined to be dad.com and you'll find the book as well. Thank you. And all that information is going to be in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing your self and your energy and your joy and your passion and just everything. It's been such a joy to get to know you. It's been fun. So thank you for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I hope you enjoyed Steve's energy. And if you're a manifester, I hope this inspired you to step into your own power and own your power. And if you're not a manifester, I hope you're super inspired by the way that Steve owns his power because manifestors are here to inspire all of us to own our power. So please remember to connect with Steve on social media, go check out his work, buy his book and support him in every way you possibly can. And then remember to check the show notes to go check out my YouTube channel and subscribe, please. When you get there, you're going to find, I don't know how many videos you're going to find some videos and a bunch of them are about human design. We've got the difference between feelings and emotions and how to ride emotional wave, Uh, a loving reminder for four lines, a little bit about the four, six conundrum. And plenty of other stuff, including permission to bounce. And then we've got your embodied alignment journey, which is the new project that Tina and I are doing together. And please come play and take that survey for yourself. Just check in with yourself and say, where am I in total alignment? Like a 10 out of 10, like, yes, holy cow. The universe is just pulling me forward. And where are things not quite right? Own it. Be honest with yourself. And then the next step is, do you want to do anything about it? It's very possible that your answer might be no. And that is okay. It's also entirely possible that your answer is going to be yes. And then that's where we step in. So we've got YouTube, your embodied alignment journey, and then 
Hey, you're listening to the find your awesome podcast right now. And it would be super helpful if you haven't already subscribed, if you subscribed, and then if you could please give this podcast a five-star rating and a review, I would really appreciate it. And that's what helps get other people aware of the podcast. Share it with your friends too, please. Most importantly, remember who you are. Remember that you are a miracle. Remember that you are here to own and share your unique gifts. Remember that I love you and remember to go forth and be awesome.